Hey, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk all about this and that and everything else. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy and The Complete Illustrated Birthing Companion, and most recently, Mom's Side of the Story. And I'm a registered nurse who's been in the birth world for just about all my life. I'm also the mother of many and a writer who focuses on maternal health and women's lives, you know, both on the individual and on the global level. And it's been a really fun gig all these many years and one I've been honored to have. So what's going on, everybody? Well, this week there is a whole lot going on in the news and most of it is horrifying. We are watching the collapse of a presidency and no matter what happens from here, our country and indeed the world is in a huge crisis. And yes, it's scary. And maybe if you're pregnant or a new parent, you're wondering what the heck kind of world your child will grow up in. Now, you'll have all kinds of responses to that, just as you would to any crisis, right? And these are really, really important questions to ask. We are watching things accelerate beyond what most of us who have been around here for a while, those of us that are not super young, we've never seen anything like it. And, you know, crises are, they can shut us down or they can motivate us, right? What happens with crises? The big bad ones, right? They're awful. We hate them. And inevitably, they change us fundamentally, which is, you know, sometimes the scary part, but also sometimes the inspiring part. And if we're lucky and a crisis doesn't destroy us, we can either rise or fall, right? We can let them destroy us and we can wallow in them, or we can throw it all in and create something better. And there is no doubt that the world is taking a beating right now. And there are great big cracks forming all over the damn place. But let's focus on hope. Let's listen to the words of the great and powerful Leonard Cohen in Anthem, where he says, Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Yeah. So speaking of light, it's International Day of the Girl today. That's the day where we as an international community celebrate girls, their contributions, potential, dreams, and beauty all around the world. This is a big, big day in the humanitarian and development sector because we know that the world's future literally lies in the hands of girls. And if they're educated, inspired, supported, and given the resources they need to succeed, then the world will be just fine. If they're not, and their lives continue to be held back and dominated by gender inequality, gender-based prejudices and cultural norms, and maybe more than anything else by gender-based violence, then the world will not only just stay in the shape it's in now, it'll get worse. You know, the the evidence is clear that we are at a tipping point. Now, for many years, conditions for girls and for people in the poorest corners of the world, they've been improving. They really have. We have seen dramatic elevations in people's qualities of lives. And um, we measure them through initiatives like the Millennial Development Goals and the later the Sustainable Development Goals. Unfortunately, we've seen a lot of destruction happen by the current administration to the programs and organizations that fund you know, the ways that we achieve these goals, and the result has been devastating. Now, if you read one article today that drives this point home, make it be one about the horrific situation happening right now in Turkey. Go read. Go do some homework. Now, I've been working with organizations like CARE and Every Mother Counts who focus on the lives of women and girls as the ones who will drive the future and eliminate poverty and create prosperity for their families, communities, countries, and indeed the world. 
both of these organizations, CARE and Every Mother Counts, are doing amazing work that I am really, really proud of. Even in the face of the extreme challenges we're all facing during this administration. Now, if International Day of the Girls is something you want to know more about, please check out their websites. That would be care.org and everymothercounts.org. Consider making a donation or lending your support in another way. It's a hard time in history to be a humanitarian, and it's a challenge to all of us to step up, to offer what help we can, to fill the gaps, and to make a show of it that we take care of the world and its future. We care about this. Another organization I like is it's togetherrising.org, and it's founded by bestselling author Glennon Doyle. And um, Doyle founded Together Rising out of as an expression of her belief that the surest way to lift a family or community is to lift one woman at a time, that when a woman rises, she brings her people up with her. And with small donations of about $25 or probably whatever you can give, they provide support to individual women, to organizations that support women, and in big crises like the one brewing right now in Turkey. They're a really exciting organization that's really putting faith in action in a very direct woman-to-woman way. So for Day of the Girl, I hope you'll join me in supporting CARE and CARE Action, which is their um, the arm of CARE that plugs individual citizens into the advocacy process. It's super exciting. Um, and they are my favorite global humanitarian organization. Now, Every Mother Counts is my favorite maternal health organization, and Together Rising is an amazing grassroots uh, team of rockin' hot women doing the work that needs to be done. So go to their websites and learn more about how you can help girls change the world. Now, last thing in the news that I want to talk about this week is the big hullabaloo being made about Elizabeth Warren's claim that she was fired from her first teaching job in the early 1970s, or maybe it was in 1970, because she was pregnant. Now, a lot of people in the media and on Twitter and all over the place clapped back saying that wasn't true, she was making it up, and that there were protections in place that prevented pregnancy discrimination from happening. And to all those naysayers, I say this, honey, please sit yourself down. Women experience all kinds of negative employment, financial, and social consequences when we get pregnant. It happens all over the world, all over the United States, and it's happening today, right now in 2019. If you aren't noticing it, because maybe you're privileged enough to work in a truly magnificent situation that respects parents and supports them and would never, never make it unpleasant or impossible for a pregnant woman or parent of a young child to work. If that's you, fabulous. But take a wider look at the world, will you? Because most women aren't that lucky. If you don't believe that women were penalized professionally in 1970 for having children and the fathers of those children were almost certainly not, then you need a better education. Single women weren't even allowed to have credit cards in their own names until 1974. Single women couldn't, women couldn't get birth control until 1965, and the Pregnancy Discrimination Act wasn't law until 1978. It's library time, people. So before we get to this week's guest, and as we look around the world today, I'm seeing the ways we can create big change in small actions, you know, all the time. I mean, seriously, the world has been this way for time immortal. And right now, things aren't working so well, are they? The future lies in doing things differently, using new tools, focusing on different values, and listening to different voices and opinions. Now, I've worked in this field a while now, and it used to be that we said, you know, that advocates, those of us who consider ourselves advocates, we would say that we advocate for women and girls to give a voice to the voiceless. But you know what? We were kind of wrong. That's not correct at all, actually. And we've learned to put that level of privilege away. Everybody has a voice and a message and a story to tell. We don't have to voice it for them. We don't need to tell their story for them. 
You need to give them the damn mic and then sit down and listen and then ask them what they need. They know better than we do. Okay, folks, that's this week's rant. Let's take a real quick break and then come on back for this week's guest. Okay, we are back and I am excited to talk with this week's guest. Now, I mentioned earlier um, Glennon Doyle's organization, Together Rising, but I'd also like to mention that her books are brilliant. And for me, they so often spotlight the truth that despite what we're told, what we see, how we're perceived and what's expected from us as women, we too often internalize the message that there's something wrong with us that we need to do things differently, that we don't fit in, and therefore, you know, we're found unworthy. Glennon writes about just how much bullshit that is and about the power of celebrating who we really are, warts and all, so to speak. And this week's guest is another writer whose work speaks to the messages mothers receive and have always received that tell us we're not enough. Margaret M. Quinlan is an Associate Professor of Communication Studies at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Along with her co-author, historian Bethany L. Johnson, they wrote the book, You're Doing It Wrong, Mothering, Media, and Medical Expertise. Let's get Maggie on the line. Hi, Maggie. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, Jeannie. Thank you for calling. I really appreciate it. I've been really looking forward to this all day. Yeah, me too. Um, I have to warn you, I have a little bit of sniffles. So if I sound a little allergy-like, that's because I am. Sorry about that. Well, you sound great to me. Good, good. So you and I um, found each other online. It was either, I don't remember, LinkedIn direct messages or Instagram direct messages or something. But we found each other in our inboxes eventually, and I'm really excited to talk about your book. Um, And just right off the bat, it's called You're Doing It Wrong, Mothering Media Media and Medical Expertise, which is a title I absolutely love. (laughs) Um, But before we get to all of that, let's talk about the most important thing. Who are you and what do you do? So, Jeannie, I am an associate professor at UNC Charlotte. This is my 10th year there, and I, this is my first job out of um, my PhD program, and I would be very happy to retire there. Mm. Um, so I study health communication, so I'm interested in um, women's bodies, how we talk about um, individuals with disabilities, how we how we think about um you know, health and, you know, how the media talks about, you know, uh, about um, health issues. Um, I even, I'm even interested in like doctor patient communication or practitioner patient communication. Um, I live on Lake Norman, um, which is in um, right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina um, with my family, my husband um, and our two children, we have a five-year-old or she'll be five on October 22nd. And I have a 19, 19-month 19 um, son who, and his name is Teddy and my daughter's name is Sweeney. So that's me in a nutshell at, at this point in my life. All right. October 22nd is my sister's birthday. Great day. We talk a lot about October 22nd in our family. Yeah, it's an important one. And especially if she's going to be five, she really gets it. She, she knows is. birthdays. Yeah, yeah. For better or I think worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that they get it at about age three. You know, like they they have enough rem- memory that they, they kind of remember turning two and all the anticipation of something special happening. And it just gets better from there. It does. I love it. It really does. Yeah, yeah. So you've got these two little ones, and you are a professor at the university, and you wrote a really important book. Thanks. And I just, I love the title because <laughs> I, I'm assuming it's all tongue in cheek that you're doing it wrong part, but it, that is certainly the message that is pervasive in messaging that women hear during their pregnancies and you know, postpartum period and parenting time. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really interesting, um, the, the tongue-in-cheek part, because yes, I would say some of it is tongue-in-cheek, but a lot of it is really just the consistent messages that that 
I, I feel like I was receiving or still receive. Um, so no matter what choice you make or, you know, choices that are sometimes made for you or things that aren't a choice, um, you can get those messages of you're doing it wrong from so many different angles, right? And because we were interested in um, medical expertise, usually directed at mothers um, and more likely that, you know, the female body, um, because we were interested in the medical expertise from preconception through toddler years. And it just happens to be usually mothers that it's, it's directed at. Um, and so, you know, no matter what those choices are made or made for you, that somebody is always going to tell you that you're doing it wrong, right? Your pediatrician, uh, doula, a lactation consultant, um, your parents, your sister, um, your, you know, your friends, right? And so, so we tried to really unpack that. And it was, it was fascinating, because, you know, when, when you think about, you know, what is the ideal mother, and we tend to see that as, um, so, you know, it's a, it's a construction that's, you know, white, middle class, able bodied, um, you know, um, cisgendered, all of these, you know, different thin, right. Um, and, that is that construction is something that nobody can live up to. And both my co-author Bethany Johnson and I um, do have a lot of those markers, but we were still finding ourselves in moments where we felt like we were getting that same message of, of you're doing it wrong. And so, you know, we wanted to talk to women and to mothers and to various caregivers about their experiences. And um, we wanted to talk to people who were, not like us in a lot of ways, right. That had different, Mm -hmm. different backgrounds and, you know, different education levels and different experiences and identities and to hear about, you know, hear their stories. And then because Bethany Johnson is a historian, it was really great to sort of go back throughout history and unpack some of, some of these messages and look at, you know, sort of um, drawing comparisons and making distinctions between what messages um, individuals were given in the 1900s or the late 1800s. And, you know, we still see a lot of those myths and those, um, those ideas on social media, even if, you know, scientists and, and others have debunked some of those ideas, but we still see those messages so clearly. And so um, it was really sort of this project was um, stressful for me at times, because I was going through the different stages um, and my own different crises throughout the stages, both my co-author Bethany and I. Um, but in many ways, it was therapeutic because I felt like I was going to be spending all of this time on social media while pregnant or while trying to get pregnant um, and, you know, raising raising toddlers. But yet going back throughout history gave me some comfort by hearing, you know, that I'm not the only one who feels this way, or I'm not the only one that's being told this. And, you know, why, why are we at this point? And what, what can we do moving forward? So, um, you know, so this project is pretty um, political for us, but it's also, you know, very personal. And, um, you know, we ended up finishing the book up a year early, because we both unexpectedly found ourselves um, pregnant with our second children. Um, And Bethany had (laughs) um, years of, of infertility in order to be able to have her first. And then, you know, we both um, found ourselves pregnant again. And so the book in many ways wrote itself, which was really, um, which was really a great, a great thing. I love when that happens. Just a couple of episodes ago, <laughs> we did a, um, an episode where we replayed a, an older episode with Avatar Norman Nathman and her book, The Good Mother Myth. Did you look at yeah, that book? Yeah, we do cite it. <laughs> so it's part of it. Yeah, yes. yeah. I know. I love that book. And for listeners who haven't listened to that episode or haven't read her book, go pick up a copy. You might find yourself in it. You know, it's for all of us who don't quite identify with the, you know, white, middle class, cisgendered, able bodied mother that you were describing and the one that we see so prolifically on in right. the media. And so, yeah. I mean, it's just the bar yeah. is too high. And, um, and so, you know, let's, let's start, you know, seeing the ways in which that myth, myth, myth impacts, you know, the way, the way that we parent, the way that we see ourselves and, and, um, and, and kind of go from there. 
Yeah. That myth is so destructive because it really means that women can't be themselves. You know, they can't come to their motherhood and raise their children as themselves. They have to pretend to be and something we else. we start off the book and talking about um, a, a Teddy Roosevelt quote. And it's the, the woman who is a good wife, a good mother, is entitled to our respect as is no one else. But she is entitled to it only because and so long as she is worthy of it. Right. And so that mm. quote was really powerful for us because, you know, he was obviously worried about race suicide and he was thinking about, you know, how white men were well suited for politics, you know, for ruling other nations, that women who were good mothers, right, they would stay in their place, um, that they would have their babies, that that was a very narrow view of of white motherhood. And it puts, I think, women into this tenuous position um, because at that point, anything that you do could go wrong so easily, right? And then you think about today, mm. we have, our lives are so much more public and we're able to post, you know, all these parenting pictures and, you know, images of our children and our pregnant selfies. And so we sort of open ourselves up to to a lot of more, a lot more voices, right? And more access to our lives, as well as, you know, the ways in which we think about how we present ourselves during those different life cycles that, that we talk about throughout the book. And so, um, you know, I think, again, you know, saying, you know, looking back at, at, you know, what's a mother supposed to do has been, has been really fascinating for me. And, and we see some of that same well, language today, right? <laughs> yeah, we really do. Advice on parenting, it, has to be at least as sure. old as parenting, but it changed a lot when it when the media hit and or did it. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I think again, you know, back to that point that we just have we have access to so many, right? That I could post on a Facebook group about um, a rash on my child's body, and I'll hear back from a, a doula, a pediatrician, a lactation consultant, a mom who sells Shakeology, right, that um, a mother of, of five, right, and they're all experts in their own right. And so as somebody going through that, that moment, you, you have to figure out what, what, what voices you're going to listen to, and which ones do you value, and, you know, how, how do you can you really confirm, right, that somebody has six children? You know, you could stalk, I guess, their Facebook page or, or something like that. But, um, <laughs> you know, so it's trying to make sense of, of, of who to listen to, what camp you're in, and, um, and, you know, in playing into all the decisions that you make where, you know, I think about, you know, my mom in the 80s, right, she had a lot of family around her. Um, and so she had, you know, a lot of different people to talk to where, um, you know, a lot of us today are raising our families alone, far away, or plane rides away from from family, and um, are having to figure out, you know, totally new support systems. And a lot of them have been, you know, through through online connections. And um, and so, yeah. So I think we're just in a, in a really interesting place to exchange information and to really be paying attention to to what's happening. I, I like that you you talked about, you know, the the kind of glut of expertise that is presented as expertise. And you have to wonder who qualifies and who doesn't. And, you know, there are a lot of us out there that are talking in this sector. And and so, you know, I tell listeners, go ahead and listen to everything and then go with your gut because you really do know. You really do in your heart, in your gut. You know, you, you get, you take all of those opinions about, whatever it is, the rash or the diaper or whatever it is. <laughs> and then you sort out the stuff that's just clearly <laughs> nonsense to you and you find the best pieces, right? That's, that is my approach for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, that I, you know, I, I would listen to, to every, everyone before, you know, before I, I became, um, pregnant and, you know, I, I would ask a lot of questions. A, a lot of people get really offended by, people get giving advice. And, you know, sometimes it's for good reason. Um, you know, the chapter that we have about infertility, um, sort of the myth of just relax and you'll get pregnant. Right. right? But if you're, um, 
um, you know, we, we know today, right, that um, just relaxing is not going to open fallopian tubes. It's not going to re- remove scar tissue, yeah. right? Yeah. That we all have a friend who just had a bottle of wine and, and got pregnant after years of infertility. Voila. But <laughs> but that is not, not the case for everybody. And so I think really paying attention to the advice that we get and the advice that we give is important um, because I, I, I think after writing this book, I'm more conscious of the advice that I give. And I try not to be somebody that gives advice because, 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 you know, I, I'm not a medical practitioner. You know, I, 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 you know, I study medical expertise. I'm a health communication scholar. I have, I, I have two children. I think I do have some pieces of, of good advice, but I'm not going to be the person at two in the morning who's telling you to go to the ER at, you know, because of, because of the rash or, you know, telling you, you can wait till the morning. Um, I, I think now I'm more conscious that, that, you know, why is this person posting at two in the morning, right? Why do they feel that this is the place that they can go? You know, what I can see, you know, I could say things like, I see you're scared. I see you're nervous. Um, I, you know, I, 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 you know, you're, you're, you know, could you tell me a little bit about the lighting in the picture, right? You know, so I think there's, there's a lot of different ways that we could support people in those moments without giving advice. Um, And I think one of our fears with the book was that it was going to get tagged as an advice book, because, you know, that, you know, it's sort of, um, you know, that that's a a tag, you know, on Amazon and and all of that. And, and, you know, we just want to make sure that people know that we're, we're not entering in the conversation with judgment. And we, we're, we're helping you to sort of hopefully, you know, think through some of the advice that you're given and help you to make decisions, but not to add to the, to the loud voices. (laughs) Sometimes the expertise, they actually are experts. But, you know, it's your healthcare provider Um, and you may be getting information that doesn't feel true to you or feel like something that um, applies to you or, you know, you you might, you might question their authority, which I really encourage. (laughs) I really encourage people to question medical authority. Um, Most of the time, your medical experts are spot on target. They have your best interests in heart and they know what they're doing most of the time. And sometimes they're motivated by other factors like, oh, administrative issues at the hospital or insurance requirements or fear of, you know, uh, medical malpractice, or they're simply part of a medical culture that practices a certain way, kind of one size fits all, and maybe that size doesn't fit. So I, I encourage women to act, to kind of talk back, Yeah, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of kickback for that. Sure. Right. And I think, you know, it hits to that idea that, that, you know, there's just such a long history, right. Of, of people not believing women and, you know, thinking women don't know their own bodies. Right. And, you know, we know, Mm -hmm. we, we see, right. Serena Williams was, almost died right after, after childbirth, she dragged herself mm-hmm. to the nurse's station to, to get help. Um, I think on her hands and knees. Right. And, you know, if we're, if doctors aren't believing Serena Williams, right. Who has a lot of power, a lot of money, um, you know, so many things, you know, she's articulate, right. She's got so many, you know, things going for her that how are they going to believe me? Right. Or, um, you know, that, I don't want to be the patient who, um, who, who is, you know, painted as, uh, as somebody, you know, who doesn't listen or, um, who, who, you know, the whole idea of being hysterical, right. You don't want that, that, right. you know, listed in your the chart. Difficult and, patient. and so, yeah. you know, it, Oh, that patient's difficult. Exactly. Yeah. Even in, in our yeah. infertility research, we talk about, you know, women who, didn't want to upset their doctors or their n- nurses because they were afraid that they would spit in their eggs. Right? We don't hear yeah. cancer patients yeah. saying, "I'm worried that somebody's going to spit in my chemo treatment." <laughs> but but here, women are no. But but there is that that sense of people don't want to challenge their caregivers because then they might not like them and they might not give them good care. That happens across sure. the board. 
Yeah, across the board. The spitting thing is weird, but yeah. I, I yeah. But I think it happens across the board. It's an authority dynamic that is really, really difficult for anybody to bridge, but especially when you're pregnant and vulnerable and confused and or in pain or sick, you know, it's right. a power dynamic. And and yeah. Um, you know, so I think, I think being aware of that and, you know, and here I am, right. I, I have a, a PhD in health communication, but I would still leave an appointment, not asking the questions that I needed to ask. I'm like, I teach this, this is what I, you know, this is what I profess. And I can't even, um, you know, ask the question that I, you know, that I really wanted to know, um, or, you know, I didn't get it out the way I wanted to, or, you know, I, I, I ended up doubting myself or, um, so I, you know, I think, I think this is, that, you know, we, what, what I think we try to really do in this book is that so many of the health crises that individuals experience, they end up, the blame ends up being put on the woman, right? Or on, you know, on the female body. Mm -hmm. And we like to sort of step back and say, okay, it's so much easier to blame the individual um, because she had, was exposed to too many toxins while pregnant and therefore she, um, you know, has a baby with, with autism, um, rather than looking at, you know, the big structural issues, right? What are the policies in place that, um, that put women, you know, in these positions where they're, you know, eating foods or, you know, using products with, with a lot of toxins and, um, that, you know, again, it's, it's so much easier to, to blame the woman than to, than to change those, those structures. And so, um, you know, we really, want to see the target move, um, you know, off, off of the female body and, and, you know, start to move to the, to these broader conversations that are, that are hard. It'd be great if so much of the semantics changed, you know, things like, you know, if a woman is in labor and her cervix doesn't dilate, we call it failure to progress. She has an incompetent cervix. (gasps) She didn't Yes, she has an incompetent cervix. What about an incompetent penis, huh? No, no, no. No, we don't have those. No. (laughs) Yeah, it it is changing a little bit over time, but certainly not quickly enough. And there's so much judgment. It's amazing. I I want to talk a little bit about the parallels that you wrote about between um, today's mothering experts and you know, those of 100, 200 years ago, what kind of parallels did well, you see? Okay. So a nice, you know, again, um, in our, in our chapter where we, we talked about preconception. Um, I, I really wanted to have a boy, right. And so a, a bio, you know, a male and, you know, so I did all the the research online and I, you know, read different books about, you know, how to increase your chances of having, of having, um, a male child. And it was fascinating because I would even, you know, I even have an email with, with an OBGYN, it's a big practice, so you wouldn't be able to, to track her down where she, you know, where she tells me to have sex as close to ovulation as possible that, um, you know, the, the male sperm swim faster and that will increase your chance of, of having, having a boy. And we looked back in at some doctor's papers in the 19th, um, in the 19th century, um, at, while we were up at Duke and it pretty much gave that, that same advice. Um, it was Dr. Louise, um, Branscombe, I think is how you say her last name. And, um, and then, you know, there's been the shuttles and the billings, um, work, um, you know, so that you'll see there's books by, by those individuals, um, who point, you know, who point out, right. And it's the whole idea, right. That male sperm are fast and they swim, you know, they swim faster and they're, you know, it's all these sort of gender stereotypes. Well, you know, we've talked to Mm -hmm. fertility doctors and, um, and they'll, they'll even, and they'll even admit that, you know, the textbooks aren't even up to date on this. And she's like, you know, she, one fertility doctor I talked to about this, she was like, Maggie, if that were true, we would hang people up on their heads, you know, like, and, you know, and, and increase their chance of having, um, of having a boy. She's like, but that, you know, you really just have a 50, 50 chance unless you want to spend the money, you know, to, 
to um, to pick out, you know, to pick out the sperm and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, so, so that's just that's just a pervasive myth that's been going on for hundreds of years that men, male sperm are fast. Female true, sperm right? are it's, slow. It's, it's really right? not. It's really not true, and it's it's fit into all these gender and ableist assumptions. Um, you know that um, even John Legend and Chrissy um, Teigen, you know, people were like really critical of them when when, you know, telling them that they like threw out their, their babies, you know, and, and did all this stuff. We have all these apps to track menstruation, fertility, ovulation. Um, you know, there's all these ideas of like, you can drink, you know, about, you know, getting your body to the right pH level. And I mean, even fertility doctors, the ovulation is such a, a tough thing to like, you know, really get, you know, at that moment, or, you know, people say, you know, lift your, after having sex, if you want to have a boy to put pillows under your, your butt and sit there for a little bit. And, right. And so these are all, you know, these are all um, myths that, that, that I know I'm embarrassed now to say that I, I bought into. Um, and, you know, it's ironic that, I, cause I do have a boy and a girl, but, um, but, you know, I really, I thought it was timing it right, quote unquote, but, you know, a, a sex position is not, not really going to change that. So, um, so I think that, you know, that's one, that's a great example. I think, <laughs> you know, again, the idea that for the last 150 years, um, you know, we've been, you know, telling, you know, telling people to relax and, you know, it was even in, um, you know, doctors, patients that, you know, the patient just didn't have her mind right. Or, um, you know, that there were all those things going on. And then, you know, you see it today on Instagram, right. That, women are posting, um, a picture of all of their medications, their, um, alternative, um, superfoods. And then they'll have a, 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 like a card that will say relax. Right. And so I think it just gets really ingrained in, in who we are and, you know, what, what it means to, you know, to be able to conceive that we don't even know that, that we're doing it. And often, you know, this is, based in, you know, racial assumptions that, you know, African-American women are more fertile, the assumptions that, you know, we're natural mothers. Um, you know, we don't, we still, uh, a lot of the women in our infertility research that the men wouldn't even get tested because, you know, doctors were afraid, um, you know, testing their sperm because doctors were afraid that they just couldn't handle it or, um, you know, that it would, it would be hard on their, their ego or, you know, women wanting to not, you know, to not involve them in it and, you know, just to do all the testing on them. Um, and so, you know, and to exactly, take all the responsibility exactly. and all the blame. And, you know, there's a whole market yeah. for this, right? With phone apps <clears throat> yeah. and e-courses and it all sort of um, preys on people, you know, with, with not a lot of access to these expensive fertility treatments, right? That I could take an e-course to get my mind right in order to get pregnant. Right. But again, you know, that's um, that's, you know, just adds to more shame um, to individuals who can't get pregnant. Right. Because you just didn't you weren't happy enough or, you know, maybe you maybe you just weren't meant to be a mother. Um, and and, you know, these these ex, ex, these experts are are getting are are getting clients. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a million different ways mm -hmm. to tell women that they're not good enough, aren't there? Yeah. Hey, let's take a real, real quick ad break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Thanks, everybody, for coming on back with us. Um, let's talk more about social media. I got to tell you, I am so grateful I raised my kids before all that really blew up. Um, I think the pressure is intense and anxiety-provoking to present your life you know, for the world to pick apart and to make yourself look as best as you can, though it can, though social media can also, you know, be a huge boredom reliever and, you know, relieve a lot of the isolation that comes with it, with parenting. Well, for but me, it's, what do you, you know, think? I just have to keep reminding myself that these are oftentimes, you know, these beautifully curated pictures that you're only seeing one out of 300, um, that, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a construction. I am not a big social media poster. Um, 
because I'm just not, not very good at it. You know, I don't, um, you know, I get a lot of slack from, from friends and family um, who, you know, I want to see a picture of the kids, you know, and I, you know, and then I have to stop and look through all my pictures to try to, you know, figure out a good one to share. And then, you know, it adds stress. Um, and, you know, I looking back, has anybody commented on it? Has anybody liked it? Um, so I think, you know, you know, keeping, keeping all of that in mind, I think, you know, the motherhood, um, images, you know, it's really easy to think that everybody else is, um, doing everything better, that they're happier, their marriages are healthier, their, um, kids are, you know, developmentally, you know, doing all of these great milestones, you know, there's a sticker for every, you know, everything your child does, you know, at one month or six months or a year. Um, and so, you know, it really is, um, easy to get caught, caught up in it. And I personally know that I can go into, um, dark places with it. I, and so I have to do things to protect myself on, on social media that after both children were, were born, I took Facebook, you know, off my phone. Um, and you know, I didn't need to be, you know, thinking about what somebody was having for dinner. Um, you know, when, when I was, you know, just trying to figure out how to breastfeed and how to, you know, adjust to, you know, to, to being home, home with the baby. Um, and so, you know, I've had to do different things to, to align, you know, to, to follow people who are not necessarily mother related or, you know, different advocacy groups such as like fertility for color girls or, you know, different, um, that, that are empowering messages for me, um, that, you know, there's a lot of people who are open about postpartum struggles. Um, and so th- those individuals were, were, ha- were, are, are healthier for me to, to be following. Um, so, you know, I think as, at the same time though, I've had, you know, some really great, like you said, um, moments on social media where I've connected with, with moms who were going through a similar struggle, um, that I was right. That, you know, my son's been having trouble um, gaining weight. And so, you know, I've been able to connect with others that um, I've been able to donate breast milk through, you know, different groups. Um, I've been able to, um, you know, just, just find, find sort of my, my people. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it took me some time to, to know, like, where to do that and how, you know, who, who to start, um, where to start those conversations. Yeah, yeah. So how do you recommend women filter or deal with wanted and unwanted advice? What, what, what tips do you think we can give women? That, that, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, cause I'm, I'm still, you it's know, a hard again, one, huh? you know, I have a 19 month old son. Um, and I think I've, I've gotten better at, at figuring out who, who sort of my experts are, um, that, that I, I know they would be different for different, for different people. I'm pretty open to, um, you know, to, to alternative ideas. I don't really see myself as, as super crunchy or anything like that, but, um, you know, the, like I, I, I'm interested in it, you know, so I, I'll follow, follow that. And, you know, but, but yet, you know, I had very, um, what some people would consider very medicalized births. And, and so, um, I think for each person it's, it's going to be different and, you know, that, you know, you can spend, you know, sometimes, you know, okay, I could try eight different essential oils, right. Or I could just, you know, take, take this medication that I need. And so, so yeah, so I think it is, it is a really hard, hard question to, um, you know, t- to say, say for others, what, what will work for them in terms of who you're going to listen to. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it can come fast and furious, the, the advice from all kinds of places. And I kind of recommend that, you know, women try to find their own way to deflect as much of it as they can. For me, it was just saying, you know, when somebody would come at me with, oh my God, you're having your fourth kid. Well, let me tell you what you ought to do. I just say, mm-hmm, thanks. Right. Right. And then that's it. It's usually that that silence. And when I'm at a doctor's appointment and they're telling me that I really, really have to do all of these things right now, I generally say, okay, thanks. I'm going to think about that because right. mostly you don't have to do things right now. You know, just thanks. 
right? Thanks other for your people's opinion. sense of urgency yeah. doesn't need to be yours, right? Right, right. And you don't necessarily have to make it all be a conflict, but it's important for women to remember that you are the authority, you are the consenting party, you are the one who gets to choose. And you probably know deep down in your gut what the right thing to do is. You probably do. Right. Not al- not always. Sometimes it's baffling as can be, you know, but there's usually some little inkling that says, you know what, I hate that idea, but this one may be, maybe. And so, yeah, I think you, that in, in that sense, right, I've, I've really had to work on sort of quieting the noise for myself so that mm-hmm. I can listen to what are my mm-hmm. instincts. Um, you know, I put my son in in a preschool program at 19 months. And, you know, I already mentioned he's, he's struggling a bit because of his size. And, and, you know, I, I really wanted the program to work because I needed it, right. Because as a, as a working, as a working mom, and, and it really wasn't a good fit for him. He needs a nap. And if, if he was in a daycare, they could, they could help, you know, they could give him a nap, but in, you know, these half day um, programs, you know, they, they, that just isn't, isn't an option. And, and, you know, and I, I didn't listen to my gut and, you know, and now I'm sort of having to, um, I'm in my head, you know, beating myself up a bit that I, that I pushed it and, you know, I didn't put him in a, in a good situation and he missed six weeks of, of naps cause I tried to break the nap and, you know, and, mm. and he came, he came, he, he start you know, this is his first week where he's not doing it and he, he went right back to his nap, you know? So, yeah. so I think, you know, you've got to figure out that. And, that, you know, I think with, I thought with my second, I would be really confident, you know, much more, very confident in my, in my parenting. And, and this has thrown me for a loop, right? So, um, so I think every time you you think you've got it figured out that, that you don't, and, you know, I, I get tired of everybody, oh, it'll get so much easier when they turn six months, or, you know, they'll be able to sleep through the night at this. And, you you know, all of these different, you know, things that people say, and when, when I get there, and that isn't my reality, it, mm-hmm. it throws me into another, another cycle. And here I am in a crisis on social media, like my baby is 14 months old and still isn't sleeping through the night. What can I do? You know? So, um, yeah. you know, so I think I'm really more aware of the different crises that, that people have, have been through. And I think writing, writing this book about so many has just made me really in awe of, of mothers and caregivers and, and, and what, what, what they do in order with, with often so little, um, to be able to, to provide for their, their families and and make the best choices that they can in those moments. Couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, what would it be like for women and mothers and parents and families and, you know, everybody, if the overriding message that women received was you're doing great, whatever you're doing. Yeah, that's working. Yeah, you look fabulous. Your kid is great. Yeah, he's a little different. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You're fine. You're fine. Right. It's going to take several generations of women hearing, you're fine. You're doing great. It's okay if it's a little different. You know, it's going to take generations of that message coming through before we actually believe it. Right. And, but I also think, you know, it needs to be, we need to see policies, right. That support that, right. That, you know, we, we've been able to do it, right. The, the GI bill, right. Gave, you know, individuals, you know, access to college and, you know, to wealth and to houses. And yet we still can't figure out how to support mothers, right. If we could, you know, figure out, you know, a shift in, in the way that we do things. And um, so, you know, mothers aren't waiting till, six weeks to see a doctor and, you know, dying in the, in those, in that period. Um, you know, if, if we can't envision what, what that would look like and really back it up, then, then you, the, the message is still going to be, you're doing it wrong. And, um, you know, if we don't really get creative and, and, and say, you know, no, breastfeeding isn't free, right. That this is, this is labor, this is work. Um, that if we valued women's time, um, she would get, you know, she would, you know, that, that, that isn't, that isn't free. So, um, you know, there's just so much politically wrong in terms of, you know, we, you know, we don't offer, um, uh, maternity leave for surrogates and, you know, we don't, um, you know, there's just, there's just, you know, so, such, so many issues that, that, that need to change. And then, you know, I, I would think women would start supporting each other a little more along the way. 
Well, that does kind of bring us to the point of politics. How do we make those changes? I think that the answer to that question is to, from here on out, uh, elect primarily female candidates. And just we need to flood the halls of Congress with really fresh perspectives. What do you think we should do? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's, that's great. And, you know, how, how can we, you know, increase maternity leave? And, you know, why is it that we were able to, in the 19th century, that doctors came to your house and, you know, in, in the Boston lying in, lying in papers that we, that we, that we had access to, um, you know, the doctors were, were visiting the house and, you know, families were, were gathering around individuals and they were, you know, figuring out, you know, how to support the, in, the, the individual d- during that time. And we were able to do it for free. Right. But how, you know, how am I with a, you know, a brand new baby having to run to my pediatrician, to a lactation consultant, to a doctor for me, like our, our care for, for, for new mothers is so fragmented. You know, I'll ask a pediatrician a question and she'll say, you'll have to ask your doctor, or I'll ask, you know, so, you know, somebody else a question and, and, you know, they're always like rerouting me to somebody else while my baby's screaming the entire time. And, you know, I'm expected to be all these places, but if you've had a C-section, you can't drive, um, you know, and if, if your partner doesn't have, you know, any, any leave, um, you know, these are not realities for people, right. That we tell women that they should, should breastfeed, but if you have to be back at work in, in two weeks and that, that's just not, that's just not a realistic ex, um, expectation. Right. You know, you mentioned the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if we had, I mean, I just, what, what, it, what would happen? Yeah, a mother bill. <laughs> if we had something similar, a mother bill. Yeah. Or a parent, parent bill. Right. You know, so right. A parent bill. What would happen to our economy if women and men and parents were actually supported in the ways that we actually need to be supported? Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I mean, we see, yeah we see women who are, who are doing great things to support each other, right? That, you know, there's, um, I, you know, GoFundMe accounts for women who want to, who are black women who, who want to be trained doulas, right? So there's little things Mm -hmm. that I can do to support those individuals, right? I can give $20 to a woman who wants to, you know, get doula education because she knows the needs of her community. And right she, you know, she would be much better at, at, at that than, than I would be if I went back, you know, to, to get training in that. And so, you know, how can we support, support people in grassroots ways to, you know, to, to do that kind of work? Yeah. Well, what else do you want listeners to know? Hmm. I, one, you know, some, some things that I like to, you know, to think about is that, in 2019, doctors really can't be telling women that don't Google it, right? Because this is, right. I mean, this is a, a part of our lives. This is how medical information is, is, um, is, is shared. And so, you know, when a doctor will tell me that it, it, it almost, it, it feels insulting, right? That, you know, okay, I can't Google it, but I've got an app that's telling me this, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's just all of it's at our, at our fingertips all of the time. And so, you know, this is, this is a part of our, you know, about, of, of our culture and, um, and, you know, we, they, we can't, we can't ignore that, that these are, that this is happening and, and doctors need to, need to also know that, right. We are posting on, social media and getting and getting information and instead of dismissing it like how can it be incorporated into into our care yeah. and how can we you know yeah. use it as a tool instead of something that you should you're ashamed to mention or you're embarrassed um i think it you know could potentially change um you know issues of, of burnout for caregivers too i think there's a lot of really great um potential but you know this is this is the world this is the world that we're in you know, whenever a doctor tries to limit the amount of information a patient gets or limits access mm-hmm. to information, that really concerns me, especially 
when it happens to women, because historically we know that women have have had limited access to health services and health information forever. And now that we live in the era of, you know, we can get all the information we want, doctors just plain have to adapt. That's just the fact of it. We don't, we don't, you don't limit the information anymore. You adapt your practice so that you can discuss it. You maybe you you move people to specific, you know, resources. Like if you need to Google this, here are some good places. You know, you know that, here, you know, yeah, and yeah. and they can join the conversation, right? That there's a podcast called the Child Re- Repair Guide, and it's a pediatrician who does, I think, a, a good job of of empowering new parents. And this is how you detect swimmers' ear. This is how, you know, these are you know some good good pieces of advice. I did a a sleep meditation that that he did with with my daughter the other night it you know it didn't work but um but we'll keep we'll keep trying you know so i think there are that not saying every pediatrician needs to be um internet you know needs to be a, a social media um influencer but um but you know to to say okay like this like this is this is the information that you're getting and 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 to say like the women in infertility groups um they, they, you know, they share some of the most helpful information with each other about, you know, going through the different um, treatments and, um, you know, how to give yourself a shot and how to, how to, you know, help with the pain or, you know, what worked for me. And so, you know, there, there are a lot of individuals who are, who are sharing really helpful information. um, And, you know, I think we need, we need to be paying attention to that, that, that women are experts and can, can really help each other that, that would help, help doctors in the long run. I agree with you. Well, we're getting to the point where we better wrap things up, but I have a few rapid fire questions for you. And the most important one is where can people find the book? Sure. So it's available um, on the Rutgers website and there's a 30% discount, which I'd be happy to share with you and you could share with anyone who's, who's interested in it. Um, so, and it's also available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and basically any of those major, um, booksellers. It was on Target online, which made me really excited. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know that it's still there and I'll need to double check on that, but. Okay. And it's called, you're doing it wrong, mothering media and medical expertise. So go find it wherever you get your books, folks, and let's do our last three. Okay. So how is feminine feminism relevant to your life? Sure. Um, well, for me, I, I was raised, um, Catholic and I was in second grade and I realized that there were no, um, girl, um, altar servers. And so I made a petition at my, um, yeah, my elementary school for there to be a, a girl, um, altar server. And I was the first one. And so, you know, it was just like, I think at at that moment, um, you know, I, I didn't really have the language for much later, you know, to realize that, that I was, you know, that I was a feminist. Um, and now, you know, we wrote this book from an intersectional, um, you know, feminist, um, you know, perspective. And so that, you know, just looking at the ways in which, um, feminism is, you know, not only present in my life when I'm out at a ballot or waiting, you know, for my birth control, um, prescription, but, you know, it's in, you know, most aspects of, of my daily life that, you know, it's, it's hoping, you know, how changing it's changed, how I see myself, how I see others, um, you know, that it, you know, it affects, you know, sort of my, my day to day that, you know, I think just being aware of the ways in which being white, able-bodied, middle class, educated, um, you know, impacts all of my relationships. It impacts who I am in particular spaces, um, you know, to be aware of my privilege that I have um, in, you know, in, in different aspects. And so, um, so that's, you know, that's, you know, for me, I, I, I really want to uncover voices that, that aren't heard that I, you know, want to use my position as a way to, to empower, power those and, are those individuals that I study and, um, you know, even doing this podcast, right. It's, it's, you know, translating, translating my research to, to different audiences and making it more accessible that I wouldn't want you to pay $30 to download one of my 
journal articles that, you know, that it, I'd much rather have a conversation on the phone with you about it. Um, and so, you know, thinking about thinking about those ideas that, that, um, you know, how can we, how can we build each other up and that, um, that there's, there's lots of, lots of room for different ways of, of, of living and being and, um, and existing in this world. And, and I want, want to keep, keep fighting that battle. Yeah, that's a good answer. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. How do you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Oh, geez. Um, nobody ever told me that I'm doing it right. Um, no, I'm, I'm really, really just joking, but the, you know, I think, you know, just, just really paying attention in my own life of, of what I, what I'm doing really well and being honest with myself about, okay, Maggie, you're never going to be a Pinterest mom. Okay. You're, you know, those are not strengths of yours. You're really good at let's go to the park and, you know, we'll play that way or let's go and run errands together and spend quality time that you're not so good at sitting down and playing with dolls and, um, imaginary play, but I'm really good at, you know, asking questions or having, you know, having a conversation. And so I think it's just figuring out what my strengths are and not being so hard on myself about the things that I'm not, not doing right. And, you know, just continue to surround myself with real people who are open to their struggles and, um, you know, and asking people how they're doing and, you know, and, and not getting caught up in, in this, you know, this fake social mediated world that I can sometimes get caught up in and, you know, being sort of true to, to who I am. That's a good answer too. So my last question for you then is this, where are you in the world of motherhood? Well, I am almost 40 and I am in many ways, you know, glad that I was able to wait. Um, and it was, you know, was a choice to wait to have children later. Um, you know, I think a lot, a lot of times of, of what if I had a child at 16, what would, what would my life look like? And, and, um, you know, and it it would be a very, very different. And, um, and I'm also, I think, uh, I guess I haven't really said this out loud, but, you know, I, I, my son is 19 months. I have a five-year-old, as I said, and I saw a pregnant woman and it was the first time that I was like, Oh, that won't be me, you know, that I'm done. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was a, that was a reality. You know, I, 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 w- I was very lucky. I knew I was very lucky to have, have two children. And, um, and, you know, I, in my head, I think at one point I, I, I'm, I'm one of three and I, you know, I would have loved that at one, at one point, my husband's one of six, he would have been happy with just one. Um, so, you know, so I think, I think that, you know, that's where, where I am at this point. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm working on, you know, slowing down, um, that, you know, really trying to pay attention to, you know, to details that I might not otherwise that, um, and, you know, I think it's, it's really easy for me to keep busy and keep stressed and not, you know, really enjoy how the, the, the good things about mothering that's going really well for me. Um, and so I, you know, I try to surround myself with positive people who, um, you know, don't say, oh, I have to do this or, oh, I have to do that. And, you know, I try to say, oh, I get to do this, right. I get to, to be the room mom. You know, I, I didn't think I would get asked, you know, as a working mom and they asked me twice. So, um, you know, that I have to give myself more slack that I, I may potentially always be five minutes, um, behind where I would like to be in my head. And, um, and sometimes if, we go to try to do something as, you know, with, 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 if I try to do something with two kids and in my head, we need to be there an hour, you know, to get our money's worth or, you know, to get the experience. And if sometimes if we just make it 20 minutes or that, that that's okay. And you know, that the, their world does not go in these hour increments that, that my world does. So, um, so I think, I think it's unconditional love for myself, for my family and, um, and being okay with the messiness of it all. That's a good spot in the world. That's a good spot in the middle. Yeah. I feel like it's in some yeah. ways, my mothering it just feels like a meme, you know, like that I just keep, well, you know, all these motherhood memes that I see, I just, you know, sort of screenshot and save, or, you know, a good quote to like remind me that, you know, I need to be in that moment and, and slow down. Cause, cause yes, they will only be little once. And, and sometimes it's, it's really hard and it's not, you know, I want those moments to go fast, but, um, but, you know, I also want to be aware that, that, 
this is a special time. It is indeed. It is indeed. Well, Maggie, it's been really fun talking to you. And I'm I think we could have talked about it. I hours. know, <laughs> I know. And I'm excited for people to read this book. You're doing it wrong. Because mamas, you're probably doing it right. You're probably doing it just fine. You are. You are. Yeah. And if you need someone to remind you, you can reach out to me and I'll be happy to tell you that you're doing it, you know, you're doing it right. And I think, you know, I, you know, the, the other day it just hit me, you know, I was having, I was having a rough, a rough moment. And, you know, I had these, you know, my cheap, like free sunglasses that I, you know, keep in my car and um, I'm not going to get real sunglasses until, until I know a kid isn't going to throw it into the water or something. But, um, and, you know, somebody smiled at me and it, you know, it just hit me. I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I, I needed that today. And I need to be that person who remembers to, you know, smile at the mom who's probably having a bad day or probably thinking about all she's doing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks, Maggie. I think you and I are going to talk again down the road. I hope so. More, more to discuss for sure. Okay. Next time. Bye. Okay. Call anytime. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. So much for spending your time with us here on Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. You can learn more about Margaret Quinlan's work over at pages.uncc.edu slash Margaret Quinlan. And you can get her book, Mothering, Media, and Medical Expertise, over at Rutgers, Uni- Rutgers University Press or on Amazon or wherever you get your books. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com, and you can pick up all my books over there. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Sound Slight Picture Studios, Alex Ward. We'll talk again next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. We're Sarah and Matthew Bivens, hosts of the Doing It at Home podcast, a show dedicated to empowering stories and resources around home birth. Our mission is to normalize home birth and encourage mamas and families to be educated, supported, and empowered by their birth choices, whatever they are. You can find the podcast in Apple, Google, Stitcher, the Pod Network, and on our website, diahpodcast.com.